I've had a, a passion for alcohol since, since the start of it, and you know, not for the reasons of inebriation and whatnot, much more for the fact that you know it, it's uh, got so much history behind it. My, all the spirits, all the wines, there's so much history behind them, and there's so much you know intertwined with our culture. Hello, and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. From ski instructor to bartender to global brand ambassador, our guest today, Jonathan Zamatabona, is doing something right. He also has a master's in globalization, ethnicity, and culture. But instead of academia, he saw the film Cocktail and thought, that's for me. So after what, five years of university education with um, a degree in geography and then a master's in globalization, uh, I had uh, decided to kind of fulfill a, a boyhood dream, so to speak, of becoming a, a ski instructor. So I upsticked and uh, moved from, uh, I was down in Brighton at the time, and moved down to uh, Queenstown in New Zealand, where I kind of, uh, yeah, became, uh, well, took a ski instructor course, I became a ski instructor, um, and yeah, and, and the rest is a little bit history. Did that for kind of two years where I was bouncing between seasons, so I was kind of in winter for like two years, so I was like going between there and Canada, so the, the and teaching on either side. That, they're not close. No, not at all, <laughs> well, which it kind of needed to be, you see, because of course with um, the summer always uh, around the corner, I was kind of always chasing the snow, which is a weird way, I think, I, I definitely missed summer for like two years. Which so was, were you always a skier? I've always skied, uh, yeah, I've been very privileged to, to have always had the opportunity to ski, and I've always loved it, and I've loved the, the lifestyle of it, I guess, being a ski instructor and being a bartender, there's some very similarities, they... Uh, you know, you really—it's a vocational. You, you have to love it. It's uh, long hours, and um, but you know, you you absolutely adore. What you so, do. part of your ski instructing—did you instruct in the après ski as well? <laughs> you can certainly call it instructing to a degree. Um, yeah, I had uh, always worked in in bars because unfortunately, you know, skiing doesn't always pay all the bills, and you always have to be slightly careful of injuries that come around. So you kind of need to have more than one job. So. Uh, in Canada, yeah, I was working in a fairly regular sports Canadian bar, which was which was very cool, very exciting, and very different to anything I'd worked before. And uh, New Zealand, I was working more in a kind of fine dining restaurant where I actually learned a lot more about wine, um, in particular, kind of Central Otago Pinot Noir. So, like something totally new to me. I've always had appreciation for wine, but like a, very, a big lack of knowledge to it. Um, but I also I actually worked two bar jobs, and so I was actually working one after the other. Um, sleeping very little at the time, but I worked at a bar called Debajo, which was actually run by Jason Clark, who was the kind of a, a world class finalist. So he actually won for New Zealand, and then went on, and I think he almost, I think he finished maybe third. So I worked under him for quite a while, and the bar concept was amazing. It was this kind of nineteen seventies California style uh, pad. 
so it had all the kind of games and couch and everything but the bar was very much uh, attributed to designing cocktails that fitted the individual so yes we had a menu but we could go off menu all the time and just create based on the individual that was ordering so it was a yeah, very interesting and fun times. Mm-hmm. A few years back now, though. A few years but were, were you always drawn to hospitality? I mean, when you were young? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, as soon as I turned 18, I worked in a bar, um, always to kind of support my studies, um, mostly because it was uh, enjoyable work. Um, I had always, you know, from movies such as Cocktail and the likes, I'd always been very compelled to that idea. And actually, service as a whole, I kind of, I get a huge you know, uh, kick out from the industry because, you know, it's long hours, it's not always as well paid, but it's it's hugely enjoyable um, to kind of spend your time. And that was even in the day where to be a bartender was kind of less than it is today in terms of what you needed to know, whereas today's bartending, I mean, the knowledge that these guys have is just truly remarkable. So it's not, you know, the, the professionalism of the industry has gone sky high in the last kind of 15 years since I first jumped on the stick. Absolutely. But now you studied something completely different at university though, right? That's correct. Yes, I ended up doing uh, geography with environmental studies and development studies. It was kind of a, I often get told it's a bit of a colouring in degree, which is fair enough, I guess, although I was much more on the human geography side rather than the physical geography side. But um, I seem to get asked what the capital of every um, of any country is all the time, and surprisingly, I don't know them all that well. But you know what? It was a great degree. It it, it took me to travel. So in my second year, I ended up being in Vietnam doing a geography uh, research project out there. Absolutely, you know, uh, seen and experienced a lot with the degree, and then that then transferred into a master's as well in terms of, of globalization, ethnicity, and culture, which was again kind of a a building block, very much like an, an academic thing. It didn't, for me, necessarily have a, a big future career path from it. It was just something that I really enjoyed and was fortunate enough to be able to sustain through uh, working throughout the time. Did so. you ever think, this is something that I might work in, or was it always uh, bars, hospitality? You know, it, it was food. always just purely academic interest, uh, uh-huh. to be honest with you. It was, um, I've... I've I love humans, uh, that's the biggest thing, and, and I guess working in hospitality, that's a big part of it, is I get to meet, and I've met some of the most incredible people on either sides of the stick, um, and I guess my degrees very much were like that, so I understood about why people kind of migrated and movements and historical elements to it, and modern day uh, uh, geography movements. So, yeah, I think... I, Probably didn't really ever see myself as a future geographer, as a profession, but it certainly uh, kind of reflected my love for... You know, Is that why you, you migrated so far to New Zealand? Because there's certainly a lot uh, of ski resorts in Europe. Yeah, there why are did you indeed, pick there? Uh, I think for me, I moved to New Zealand for, for a range of reasons. Uh, the be- you know, It's a beautiful place I've never been to. It is as far as you can get from where I am. Not for any reason. I mean, I love this country, but I just wanted a new challenge. Uh, I don't have the affinity for languages that my brothers do, so... They, they speak pretty good English down in, in New Zealand, so that was definitely a factor. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of went with the times. I never knew what I was really... I didn't have a plan. I just moved to New Zealand to see what would happen, and then I got taken on this journey for two and a bit years, and then, and, and then kind of returned back to London. And what brought you back? Um, I think I had got what I wanted to from New Zealand. I met some most amazing people that are still uh, my friends today, that I still see from time to time. Um, but for me, you know, home is home, like family is here, uh, friends that I've kind of grown up with. I'm very fortunate to have the same friends I've known since I was 12 up until, uh, you know, 
uh, in the university years as well. So for me, it was... I never had a gap year, so I guess it was my gap year, but doing different things, doing it differently and, and following the kind of ski path. And, and also, I felt that, you know, bouncing between seasons, kind of from uh, New Zealand to Canada, was always difficult to sustain, like, relationships and, you know, even with friends and girlfriends, it was always quite a difficult challenge. But, uh, I, look, I, I had the most amazing time, but I guess um, I was, what, 28 when I came back, and I was, it was probably that time to come uh, and settle down for a little bit. When you were working with Jason Clark, I guess how I should say this is that did you feel that when you got back to London you wanted to work in the same way that he did or the same you know the same places the same kind of venues the same kind of bars? Uh, well I actually came back to, to London and kind of left the bar scene a little bit. Um, I worked on the kind of trade side of things. I worked for a publication called Imbibe, which is the UK's leading on-trade publication, um, in utilising my experiences from the bar side and working with brands and how to communicate their messages. So, I, you know, Jason is, uh, Scott, you know, he's in the, the elite of bartenders and, uh, you know, whilst I might have aspirations of ever being to his calibre, for me, I was kind of finding my own journey, I guess. Um, so I, it was also then the hours. I think there's only so long one can sustain the hours of working. And I had worked a lot in New Zealand from you know, doing a ski instructor shift during the day, working in a fine dining restaurant to midnight, and then working from midnight to 4 a.m. at this kind of at this bar. So I had got to a time where I was like, you know what, I think I might want my evenings and weekends back a little bit. But I had this knowledge and... and uh, you came passion. back to London to relax. In a fashion, <laughs> yeah, that day you say it. And... Um, yeah, and but still working for this title, I had the opportunity of meeting some of London's finest. And even at that time, you know, the moment I stepped away from the stick, like the the skill sets kind of carried on further and further, and I kind of got further and further left behind um, in a really nice way because I, I have such admiration for today's bartending uh, that it would take me quite a while to probably catch up to even close to, to the basic needs that are required to work on in the top bars. But I guess working at the Imbibe magazine, you must have been around it all the time. I mean, Yeah, I mean, look, I got to meet a lot of the brands. I got to see how that world operates. Um, I still got to meet a lot of the bartenders because, again, the, the title was... You know, targeted towards the, the bartenders so I got to still meet with them and host competitions working with the brands so in that capacity I, I still was very much in the scene I hadn't walked away uh, completely I just had taken it put on a new hat so to speak now is that where you kind of fell in love with gin um, you know I've, I've had a, a passion for alcohol since, since the start of it and you know not for the reasons of inebriation and whatnot much more for the fact that you know it, it's got so much history behind it my, all the spirits all the wines there's so much history behind them and there's so much you know intertwined with our culture and also the fact that ultimately they retain you know alcohol is principally about retaining flavour and something that you know soft drinks can never even rival without you know the additions of huge amounts of sugar so um, you know the, the alcohol world fascinates me and there's so much to know in terms of gin then um, you know I've always been a big gin fan it, it has enough going on to it that I could uh, really like, get my teeth into it and understand whereas again you know you start to go into the world of whiskey and again the, the knowledge that's required behind that um, but you know I have a, 
an enthusiasm for all alcohols, but yeah, I guess kind of gin was my, my calling, I guess, down the line. Mm-hmm. And so the transition from Imbibe to being global brand ambassador for Langley's? Yeah, so I had worked for Imbibe for two years and had met a lot of people. And when the time had come to move on to my next um, adventure, so to speak, I always like to call them adventures, and the opportunity arose to, to come and interview for this new brand that was coming to the market called Langley's Gin. So I met the brand founders, uh, Mark Dawkins and Mark Crump. And I have to say, at this time, I was a little apprehensive because I knew my ne- you know, next step always had to be you know, one that had some sort of future security in. And even what well, this coming up to four years to the day, uh, gin was pretty busy back then. Um, I mean, the hundreds of brands that have come since Langley's is remarkable, but... Even back in that, I was like, you know, are we late to this party? You know, the mm. gin movement is already big, you know, are we, are we going to get in? But a lot of things kind of really attracted to me, Langley's. First and foremost, for the two owners themselves, Mark and Mark, easy to remember the names, but their knowledge in the sector was huge. They both came with a wealth of experience working for some of the real big players, and both from two different skill sets. One was a very financial side, and one was a marketing and sales guy, so they kind of like made it very good. Uh, relationship in that fact and then the product itself I have to say you know the moment I tried it it, it really um, caught my eye and, and taste buds and knew that this was something that we could really you know grow together and, and for me it was about growing something from the start and so joining that so my ambassadorial role had a very much sales role to it as well so it was very much aligned in terms of growing the brand distributionally so kind of going out to all the bars in London and further afield to introduce it and and then also ambassadoring the brand when it came well first and foremost in the UK where I kind of hosted masterclasses and gin trainings, both consumer and on trade friendly, um, and then as the brand has grown in export as well to to kind of fulfil the role of, of a global ambassador as well. So going out and talking the good things of of gin and Langley's. You know we've always presented to to discuss and train about gin itself you know and then where Langley's fits into that it's not just a, a big brand plug it's, it's about the category itself it excites me so much and I think you know there's a lot of love between a lot of the gin brands you know it's not this big competition um, like an aggressive competition yes there's a natural competition but there is a a real enthusiasm for what everyone is doing and, and, and how each gin brand differs and, and can give something that's different that's really good to, to hear so, yeah, it is. Now, now let's back up a little about Langley's number eight. Um, so the two guys, the two marks, came together, and they wanted obviously they wanted to create a brand, mm-hmm. a, a gin brand. How did they even start? If one was from a financial world and one was from a marketing world, you know, Mark has a great story about how he had this vision of creating a brand that was basically a, a quintessential perfect London dry. But set in like a modern day setting, like for the modern day consumer, modern day palette. Because again, for me and and you know, Mark uh, would echo these statements and that gin was perceived back in the day as a bit of an old fashioned spirit. There wasn't much going on with it. You're talking fifteen odd years ago, and then has since become much more exciting. And therefore, the vision behind Langley's was to really create a gin brand that was a salute to everything that a real classic London dry was but really reaching that kind of modern day palette. 
It's funny you say that because literally last night, two friends of mine said, "Oh yes, my na- my my nana used to drink gin and tonic, <laughs> and now it's everywhere." Yeah. And you know, that's that's where we first started. I mean, we didn't want to drink it really. We were drinking vodka because our nanas were drinking the gin and tonic. You know, and now that has completely changed. It has, and I think it's the palate has changed a lot because I felt you know I was of the generation that when we when I started drinking legally, of course, um, it was all about the sugar. You know, we we have the kind of Vodka and Coke, vodka, Red Bull, vodka, and then there was also the RTDs, the kind of Smyrna Feist, the Hooch, you know, these kind of alcohol pops. It was all about the sweetness and kind of the end result of alcohol as opposed to actually enjoying it. Whereas I mean, a lot of, you know, um, when I'm hosting a lot of masterclasses, say for universities, they, they're drinking a lot more gin and tonic and having a much more uh, knowledge about what they're drinking and spending their money on. Um, whereas I have to say, when I was 18, it was like, generic vodka this or I don't think I met anyone who ever drank gin at least in the states I was in New York and yes it was you know it was the time of the Cosmo so well it was uh, gin wasn't even in our vocabulary and you know now though there are so many so let's go back to Langley's yeah with with how it started so it was during the time of the you know the Olympics there was the Jubilee around the corner there was quite a real um, connection and love and affinity both from us what it was meant to be English it was quite you know a proud moment and also from a global perspective tourism was up and so there was that real desire to create something that encapsulated everything about England so working with Langley Distillery which is a, an extremely reputable uh, third party distillery we uh, they created this gin um, that was uh, had this kind of perfectly balanced the right amount of alcohol, which are referencing surely, but again, everything that was connected to England. So, for example, the the neutral grain spirit we used was 100% English wheat. The pot still that we distilled in was an English-made pot still. So, a lot of modern-day pot stills uh, do not come from England, but we actually distilled in a 1960 John Doerr-made pot still. And then actually Langley's itself, I know you guys in America have Langley's Virginia in the, the CIA headquarters, but it's actually an old English term for long meadow, land meaning long and glaze meaning meadow. So it's that kind of, even the name itself has something very uh, that resonates to what it is to be kind of English. Mm-hmm. And so they created the, the recipe with eight secret botanicals, had this 100% neutral That's the spirit. eight. That, well, right. no, you see, no. That's, oh, it's not, no. it's a kind of... The eight actually comes from the batch number. And what it was, when they had the recipe, is they then made 50 batches of varying uh, ABV percentages. So they started at 40% and up to 45 and stopped on every decimal point. That was then, um, that was tasted and then reduced down to 12 samples. And then they all tasted neat, then over rice, then against all tonics to make sure that whilst it was a very smooth tasting gin, the flavours weren't going to be lost with a powerful tonic and also that meant for like making kind of Negronis the gin would still stand up and so actually it was the 8th batch that chose at 41.7 this very specific number that they felt was the the most perfect number to create this you know perfectly balanced uh, London Dry and yeah it's from that that the, the Langley's number 8 was born and uh, and you just keep winning those awards literally since the beginning you know uh, yeah we've been very fortunate um, both here and abroad uh, in particular yeah the, the gold medal in San Francisco uh, just last year we won uh, world's best gin at um, the Spirit uh, New York Spirit Awards which was a, a huge accolade um, but for us, you know, it, it, they're, they're extra strings to our bow, so to speak, but we like to 
you know, get the brand out and, and introduce it to bartenders and, and let them speak for itself. Because I don't really like to tell bartenders about awards because their palate, you know, these are the guys that often will be picking the awards. So mm. for me, I often talk to the trade about what they think and I almost I just kind of crack the bottom let them play with it and, and see what their response is and you know, I have to say I've been very fortunate because now it's all around the world yeah we're growing uh, strength from strength um, in uh, you know we've got a very heavy presence in the US we've got places in uh, far-fetched from uh, well, France Italy Russia Poland all sorts so the the you know the Spanish market is, is, I think, still the number one market for gin, uh-huh. um, but it's uh, the the popularity of gin in England has yet to reach all the countries in Europe. But it's certain they're certainly catching up, and so their their demand for it is is ever increasing. So we're we're riding that wave through it as well, and, and but not resting on our laurels. We're still growing and and focusing on everything else that goes with it. So our on trade focus is essential, and that's something that Two Marks very much had a focus on at the beginning was to grow the brand in the on trade, grow it and work with the bars and put the money into other bars that are going to support the brand. And that's what we've maintained as an ethos. So we were actually only in the on trade. We were only in the on trade for the first couple of years, you know, with no off trade presence because we wanted to build this and had a vision that ideally customers were seeing the brand for the very first time. If, and hopefully tasting it for the very first time at a bar as opposed to walking down a, a supermarket shelf and going, oh, I've never seen that before. So that was the idea then. And that has been very much you know, why they employed myself and, and the strategy behind the brand was to, to always grow it up. Um, and yeah. All this talk it. about it, I've got to try it now. Most definitely. So let's go get a drink. Should we do it? Yeah, absolutely. Martini's all around. Thanks so much to Jonathan for letting me taste their Old Tom Gin as well as their Langley's Aid. I think I'm getting to like gin more and more, especially after I had Langley's and a Tom Collins, my cocktail of the week. Now, there are differing stories about how this drink originated, but I kind of want it to be from the great Tom Collins hoax of 1874. You would tell your mate that a man named Tom Collins was at the bar insulting him. He would run down to the bar, ask for Tom Collins, and get this drink. Now the name is too famous to do that anymore, but you could try. So here's how to make it. Combine 60 ml of gin, 30 ml of fresh lemon juice, 20 ml sugar syrup in a Tom Collins glass with ice. Stir and then top with soda and garnish with an orange slice. So easy. John, Paul, George and Ringo aren't the only Liverpudlians to set their sights on conquering the world. Our next guest, John Ennis, has come to town with an LP full of tequila. He'll be here to tell us how his bar, El Bandito, was one of the first UK bars to be awarded Mezcaleria status. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar. <laughs>